Hello, and welcome to the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. I'm joined today by Rachel Washburn, Major General Spider Marks, and Peter Chur. Today, we're going to be talking about the Putin-Trump summit, the effects of Secretary of Defense's visit to China. Peter's going to give us a market update. So let's jump right in it. What do you have for us, Rachel? Thanks, Andy. Uh, yes, sir. I want to. I want to start off with you know some quick comments about North Korea. We haven't seen a lot of uh, tangible evidence of denuclearization. The administration is promoting that they'll they'll put out some sort of uh, concrete objectives. Maybe not a timeline, but um, some, something that we can look at as evidence of the impact of the summit. Um, but beyond that, it seems like 2018 is quickly becoming the, the summer of the summit, and I want to talk about Russia. Uh, the National Security Advisor was just visiting. Putin agreed to do a face-to-face -face with President Trump. Uh, what, what do you think the objectives are of that summit? What can be achieved? What should we be looking for? Well, thanks, Rachel. And again, Andy, thanks for setting this up. Um, you know, this really has become, I think you stated it very, very well, the, you know, the, the summer of the summit. Um, my primary concern is on the heels of the Singapore summit between President Trump and Chairman Kim, is that because, as you absolutely and appropriately identified, Rachel, there's little tangible evidence that anything has come from that yet. And so there could be a sense of, skepticism that in an, another summit is going to yield similar, quote, non-results. Well, let, me, let me just kind of stop for a second. That's what we're going to have to deal with. That's what we're going to have to deal with. That will be the narrative that comes out. I am optimistic that we will start seeing progress uh, from the summit in Singapore. There's too much at stake, and both South Korea and North Korea now are, are jockeying and trying to ensure that this thing doesn't go off the rails. And the United States is in the lead dog position to ensure that we gain some progress. So I'm optimistic there, but you're absolutely correct. Let's take what we saw in Singapore and this increasing skepticism that we're going to get something out of that North Korean-U.S. summit. And now we're going to a priori uh, summit with Russia. We're going to have to do some analysis and try to figure it out. So I take the objectives between the president and, uh, and President Putin will be a discussion, a very fulsome discussion about U.S. objectives and Russian objectives and regional competing objectives in Syria, number one. Number two, I would hope that there would be a very strong statement from, the, from our administration that President Putin gets and understands and acknowledges that, look, military adventurism has got to cease. What you did in Crimea is a done deal, but it's you know, it's internationally um, illegal. What you did is illegal, but it's a done deal. We're not going to militarily confront you and try to put that genie back in the bottle. But be careful with Ukraine. Be careful with the Baltics. Be careful elsewhere in the region. Um, we're watching. We're very concerned. We want to have a solid relationship with you, but pump the brakes and pump them very hard militarily. Uh, the third objective is the recent election in Turkey. Erdogan is now the head of state as well as the head of government. He eliminated the prime minister. This election eliminated the prime minister position. So you have an increasing hardline leader 
with a very strong religious bent, which is sat, who is saddling up next to Putin in Russia, and ergo distancing himself from NATO. So I think that will be a topic that will be that we need to discuss. And I would say the fourth topic that always needs to come up is any type of uh, activity online, cyber threats, um, involvement, indisputable involvement and meddling of Russia in our elections and ensuring that we have the appropriate dialogue ongoing that precludes and makes it clear to Russia that there is zero incentive for them to pick up on any type of a continuation of that type of activity as we move to our, you know, the U.S. midterm elections coming up here in a few months. So, Rachel, I think those are the, the four objectives that should come out of this meeting. Um, I, I'd like to kind of discuss very briefly, you know, clearly the situation in Syria is has shown no signs of improving improving from the standpoint that Assad is might in in some flicker of, of hope be demonstrating that he understands the error of his ways, but that's not the case at all. Assad has increased his power. There's little likelihood that he's going to be removed from power. That's certainly not the United States objective, but it is the objective of Russia to ensure, to ensure that he remains in place. But again, Turkey's got um, commitments in Syria to ensure that their border with Syria has what they would hope would be a buffer to keep the Kurds away. The United States continues to support the Kurds in efforts to go against um, ISIS. ISIS has been uh, decreased and it uh, has been really diminished in its abilities to prosecute any type of military operations on the ground. Yet, sadly, um, violent extremism online remains. So, and then you have um, Russian forces, U.S. forces. So clearly, Syria is a, this toxic, toxic mix and really high-risk environment where you could have two NATO partners, NATO and the United States, going against each other in a gunfight. That's the last thing we want to see. That would just be a terrible exacerbation of an already horrible situation. Um, so that's Syria, um, and there probably are some additional things um, that we could talk about with Syria. But then I think in uh, relative to Ukraine, I think it's a it's a fair assessment now that it wouldn't we shouldn't be surprised if Ukraine steps forward and says, look, we we chose in 1994 not to join NATO and we reinforce that decision and we don't want to join NATO. And I think if you had kind of a Switzerland like um, posture that Ukraine could embrace, then that wouldn't further um, poke Russia in the eye on the heels of what happened in Crimea, but would allow Ukraine to state, look, we, we understand what happened in Crimea. That's, that's a horrible outcome. That's not what we wanted. Your oil pipelines from Russia, you, Putin, your Russian pipelines go through Ukraine and help feed all of Central Europe. We've got that. We're going to remain neutral in our position so that we can have some type of a balanced view. We understand the economic advantages of, of having that, those gas pipelines coming through our country. We acknowledge that. We also acknowledge that your adventurism in Crimea is was criminal, but nobody could do anything about it. And we don't want to join NATO because we don't want to further poke you in the eye. And I think a transparent comment like that might indicate to Putin that he won, but guess what? He did win. And um, Ukraine is better off being in a position where they can balance uh, between both capitals, Moscow and Washington, and then certainly um, 
uh, the EU. So I think that's what's happening now. The other concern that I have uh, when you talk about Russian military adventurism is the possibility for some concerns up in the Baltics. Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania um, are members of NATO. Russia has been adventuresome in that part of the world before. Um, we would certainly they understand the implications of trying to annex or claim some territory in either or any of those countries. Because when you keep remember Kaliningrad, which is Russian territory, Russian city is on the western side of those three Baltic nations, separated geographically, separated from Russia. So they have access to Kaliningrad, um, but that clearly is an opportunity for a repeat of what we saw in Crimea. I doubt it will happen. Putin understands that he would really poke the bear if he did that. He doesn't want to do it. Um, so I think we have to pay very strict attention, very, be very disciplined in that part of the world. And that's why the United States and our NATO allies have ongoing routine military exercises and very strong relationship through NATO with those three Baltic countries. And then finally, we touched on Turkey. Erdogan was just elected as president for a five-year term. He called for the election early because he understood that there, he might be losing some momentum. And he also didn't want to take advantage or lose the advantage that a crisis presented him. The coup two years ago was followed by an immediate, de immediate declaration of a state of emergency in Turkey by Erdogan. And as a result of that, he's tightened down on opposition, he's tightened down on the media, and he's also been um, engaged in this fight in Syria. That power, his power has increased. There is political opposition, but as a result of the election, we can see that it was rather muted. So he has a majority, and he's got, an, he's got a five-year term, and he's an increasingly powerful leader with an increasingly dependent and open relationship with Russia. So those are three topics that concern me. And then the final one clearly is we have to start we, the international community, must start taking steps to get our arms around the cyber challenge that we have. You know, when you look at the domains of war and the domains of commerce, space, air, sea, land, and cyber, four of those are governed by international bodies and laws. Cyber is not. There are no incentives for bad behavior or good behavior behavior online. We have to start to establish that. We have to be able to codify what right looks like, and we haven't done that. So it, it, it remains an ungoverned common, and we've got to start governing it, and it can start with a conversation between Russia and the United States. No better place to start. Evidence is crystal clear that they got involved in our elections inappropriately, illegally. And we need to be able to confront them and say, look, I got it. You got a capability. We got a capability. We can start hammering each other. But let's not do that because the downside of this is existential. It's existential to good world order. And we all agree we don't want to we're, – we're precariously postured now in a number of realms. We don't want to push us over the edge. Let's start talking about how we can behave in a little more civil way because we're incentivized to do so online. So I think that's what the Russian summit um, is going to present to us. So back, back to you, Rachel. Peter, what are your thoughts on what General Marks had to say? I agree with a lot of it. And what we are seeing, I think, is more and more unrest across the globe. If you throw in, you know, what we're seeing in South America, where you've got Venezuela, you've got some, you know, problems, certainly economic problems in Argentina, I think 
from a macro perspective, we have to be very cautious um, that the geopolitical situation globally seems very tense. It's not really priced in. That's part of the reason why I'm a little bit more bearish. And interesting, as we talk about cyber and Russian influence on the election, had several conversations this week about people, how do we teach our kids to read the news and understand the news? Part of this, and then it maybe goes on, how do we teach adults or ourselves how to read the news, understand the news? Because regardless of whether Russia interfered or not, clearly it looks like they did, how were they able to? What have we done that we are able to circulate, quote-unquote, fake news and people adopt it as their own? So I think domestically we've got to start figuring out things on how do we educate people to live in this information age where much of the information is, you know, filtered to a degree or not to a degree. It's confusing. It's heavily biased. Um, you know, I think that ties back to one of the things the generals have been particularly good at for our customers is when we are asked questions about events in the world, whether it's Syria or something, we are able to come at this with a intellectual intellectually honest answer of what we see from our experience and it's not meant to be partisan at all and it isn't partisan and I think that's a really important value to be added in this world where so much of the information comes in so biased that being able to filter through it and provide reality is what's crucial for investors. Peter, I think you bring up a really good point and something that General Marks and our entire geopolitical intelligence group can speak to uh, very, very clearly and with a lot of authority are the motivation behind the the decisions that are that our administ the administration makes that our country makes about that are all informed by protecting our national interests. And I think that can be kind of confusing sometimes because sometimes from an outsider's perspective, they can seem conflicting. And I think this uh, summit is a great example of it. So uh, General Marks, I, I pose to you the question, um, one of the main objectives of aligning, cooperating with Russia, um, Syria is a place where we can do that, but it's very much counter Iran. Uh, they're, cooperating a lot in Syria. Iran obviously has major influence in Syria. Um, but it's interesting because at one point when ISIS was, you know, a major threat, Iran was, you know, very effective at uh, interrupting ISIS operations. And, you know, they ha did make an impact in um, the growth and the, the growth of ISIS. Um, and to at one point that benefited U.S. national interests. Um, and right now we're looking to cooperate with Russia to achieve some of our national interests in countering Iran. How do we, can you talk diplomatically how we navigate these strategic objectives where sometimes we have to cooperate with people who are, are you know, malign actors internationally and how do you cooperate without empowering too much? It's a, it's a really interesting dynamic that I think you you have a very unique insight on. You know, Rachel, it, it is um, the, the real truth of the matter is we have to be very practical. Every nation, every entity has to be very practical about what its definition of a national interest is. And national interests can moderate and can shift based on global pressures. What should not shift is what I call those underlying principles or values that guide and define a nation or an entity. And we increasingly have non-governmental actors um, 
that we we have to contend with. Obviously, you know, we refer to terrorism. What is what motivates terrorists? Violent extremism. Um, it's not defined by borders. It's defined by an ideology that we have a hard time getting our arms around. But it is a motivation. And so, in our particular case, look, we we understand we we need to make friends with folks that, on one hand, might be um, incredibly bad actors, and on the other, we need to have that bad actor working on our behalf. Um, you know, it's the old, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend. And we define our friends in a, in a very shifting, definitionally, de definitionally altering way, depending upon what those national interests are. What we see with this summit in Russia is kind of baffling. Peter and I have talked about this. We've had these conversations with a number of our clients. Um, what does Russia bring to the table today that would require or would uh, why our president feels compelled to go meet with them. Well, first of all, he's an international actor. Russia remains a power because of the uh, of the senior leader that's in charge and because of their natural resources and because of their history. But currently their economy is in the tubes and their military is not particularly powerful or empowered, yet they have capabilities that must be recognized and we have to embrace that, um, that realization that Russia remains a threat. And if we can turn the volume down on rhetoric, and if we can turn the heat down in terms of potential engagements, then we're in a far better place. So I understand why the president would want to engage with Putin, but it's legitimate to say, what, what has he done lately other than stir things up and make it more difficult for us? Um, look, we are in the midst of ripping ourselves apart as a nation because of Russian engagement in our elections in 2016, which happened. I mean, it happened. That's not in dispute. But we, we continue to rip ourselves apart. I get it. And it's very visible. It's transparent. I get it. Yet Russia sits on the sideline and is now going to be greeted as um, as an equal, which he is, to our president of the United States. And we'll have a very formal and a very cordial relationship meeting with our with our president. And you kind of shake your head. You go, man, I kind of sort of don't get it. Where Where's the notion of carrots and where's the notion of sticks? And we're using carrots at this particular juncture. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But concomitantly, there, has, there must be a protocol and a strategy for enforcing, reinforcing good behavior and punishing bad behavior. And I think we're conflating the two right now. That's, that's troubling to me. In the case of North Korea, we had the meeting with North Korea because they have nukes. And they've never been at the table with the big guys. And they suddenly forced themselves. They threw elbows and forced themselves onto the table of the big guys, um, the nuclear power big guys. And so you have to recognize that. And so you reach out and you go, hey, Kim, let's have a chat. That makes sense to me. So there's no comparison between Kim emerging and Russia not descending, but certainly static, but meddlesome, troublesome, uh, engaged. Uh, stirring things up in their near, near abroad, annexing, you know, independent sovereign nations' territory and making it their own, Crimea. I mean, it's just baffling to me. But I understand why we have to be able to reach out in a practical way and say, look, it's better for us to talk than it is for us to go to war at least be, or be in a situation with the amount of influence you have and the amount of influence and interest that we have in not talking at all. So I understand why we're having this why we're having this summit. I I hope it becomes very, very clear to the American public what the objectives are. 
beyond what I, I'm speculating the objectives will be, and then how we can move closer toward understanding what the problem statement is, the definition of what the potential steps are at mitigation, describing it in a rather fulsome way, and making the assumption that the American public is, ra is rather dialed in and interested, not dismiss what might appear to be, a, you know, a nation that's distracted with other things going on. Let's, let's bring them in, let's assume they're interested, and let's be transparent about it. And I think that would be, that, that would be a marvelous step toward addressing at least my personal cynicism that this, this meeting with Putin has not been motivated by anything other than, yeah, historically you've been a bad power and you've been a real bad actor. So I want to sit down with a real bad actor and figure out where we can cooperate because we, we default to competition. We have to think hard about where we want to cooperate. Back to you. Spider, I think one thing, though, we do have to remember about this president, President Trump behaves very similar to how businessman Trump did. And so we have to take all these actions with a little bit of grain of salt and really have to spend time trying to think like Trump does. And, you know, you go back to the business days where his first lawsuit when he went bankrupt on a casino in New Jersey in Atlantic City, he hired all the local council so other people couldn't get local council. He thrives in environments, or he believes he thrives in environments with a little bit of chaos and confusion and that he will come out victorious. So I do think he's setting up the stage a little bit where he'll have lots of things going on coming into the end of the summer where then he will be able to claim victory heading to the midterm elections because there's nothing more important to him right now than dominating the midterm elections, which I think also ties into where we're coming out on trade is that I do expect a trade deal. Unfortunately, I don't think we will get a trade deal that we really want. We want a trade deal that protects intellectual property. That's you know paramount, and reciprocal access would also be great with China. In the end, I think we will kind of capitulate and take some very large headline victory where China agrees to buy products like liquid natural gas, ag products that we're going to be buying anyways, and we try and spin that as a big victory. It won't do what our tech companies need, what we want for our tech and for our intellectual property to really grow. But that's, I think, where we're headed is those sorts of small victories that will play well coming into the election but probably won't help the economy or the country in the long term. So, Peter, let me ask this, if I can. Yeah. Um, as we move forward toward uh, the summit with Putin, between the president and uh, President Putin, um, beyond, beyond the topics that I think, or at least the objectives that I think will be um, brought forward, how does so how does businessman Trump in this environment with Putin um, advance U.S. national interests, other than in the areas that I that I mentioned? And maybe that's I think really what you're saying about businessman Trump. Um, and, and which is President Trump, is he's, he establishes these stretch goals, these long aspirational goals, knowing that if he ends up with half a loaf, we're in a better position than we were at the start. So with Putin, um, if the half a loaf strategy is, is what we're seeing, how do you think in, in the four topics, you know, Syria, Ukraine, which is really Europe, Turkey, and then uh, cyber, what does the half a loaf, loaf solution end up looking like? I think a lot like what we've seen so far with North Korea, some great photo ops. He does believe that he has great one-on-one -on -one people, and he actually is. If you're in a room with President Trump, you come out wanting to like him. He is very good at that. So I think he's setting up the same sort of thing where we will have great photo ops, the potential to say lots of good things about cooperation in those various areas and come away saying we're on the same page. And yet, once again, we may be left 
three weeks, a month down the road with no actual formal follow-up. And that's my concern is he's very good at these photo ops, very good at creating some momentum, and yet are we able to follow through? And maybe if we see that follow-through in North Korea, I could be a lot more optimistic that we'll get something out of the Russian summit. But that is my concern, that we create these photo ops, these opportunities that sell well at home, that sound great, and if they were true, would be awesome, but we're not seeing the follow-up I'd like to see. No, I get it. I get it, Peter. I'm smiling big time. Um, first thing out of your mouth is photo ops. And um, I, I hope I hope we're beyond that. But guess what? We're not. I mean, we are, we're visually driven, and I totally get it. I, I'm, I'm on board with you on that one. But I hope there's some real substance behind those those handshakes and smiles. That would be awesome. Well, Peter, you talked a little bit about trade, and that's obviously been a major focus with China. General Marks with uh, Secretary of Defense Mattis just visiting China this this past week. The militarization of the South China Sea was a major sticking point. Uh, we don't talk about it as much as trade, uh, but I think that's a, a significant element as we're uh, as our relationship to China evolves. What do you think uh, was potentially accomplished or should we should try to accomplish moving forward? Well, I, I do know that, and it's a great question. You know, you, when you, if you take a big step back and you look at the national security strategy, which is two plus three, and the, and the two are China, number one, Russia, number two, and the president's addressing both of those. The three are, um, you know, violent extremism, North Korea and, and Iran, and that really is nuclear. When you wrap those final two together, it's nuclear proliferation. But the visit with Secretary Mattis into China was absolutely perfectly timed, primarily on the heels of the summit with North Korea. Here's the senior U.S. guy coming to China. Hasn't We haven't had um, at that, that level of visit uh, since 2014, so the perfect timing. Um, and establishing some agreements there to keep the ball moving in terms of really accomplishing some goals and some tactical, near-term tactical successes on the heels of the summit. So that's number one. Military, uh, again, China's military is growing. It's an expeditionary capability. Their Navy is a blue water Navy, and so that's a discussion point. The United States, if you'll recall, disinvited China from participation in a recent uh, naval exercise in the Pacific. Um, so that's a little bit of a, not a little bit, it's a very clear statement that, you know, we, we've got some challenges, we've got some concerns with your behavior. Um, and let there be no doubt that that was a discussion topic to include China going forward. Um, and again, that's a that's the application of sticks. The carrots are, how do we include you going forward now that we've punched you in the face? And so I understand that. And then the South China Sea, I mean, it's really, this is very problematic because the United States came forward and said, we, to China, we totally disagree with what you've done in the South China Sea in terms of your adventurism and the development of these islands and the militarization of these islands, but it's a done deal. I mean, it's, we're day late, dollar short. We should have, should have done that several years ago when they first started doing that. And guess what? We knew they were doing it. We had clear evidence they were doing it. It wasn't like it was a secret. We're not surprised by this. We saw the leading indicators, and we watched it happen. We didn't confront them. So they exist. So the United States is on record saying we disapprove of that. And everybody kind of yawns and goes, great. you got to tell somebody who cares because those islands aren't going anywhere. So you take advantage of the reality, and you say, okay, we've got these islands. We're militarizing these things. China is saying they're doing it for defensive purposes. The United States can go forward and say, look, China, let's – 
let's have a cooperative arrangement in the South China Sea where you help us with this burden-sharing requirement that we embrace. We embrace completely, openly, and uh, selflessly to ensure the safe passage of commerce through the South China Sea. You know, $5 trillion a year. Well, China could step up and say, I got it. We'll take a portion of that safe, safe passage mission, and the United States, you can take a portion. And in the effort to do that, you now are building trust. And you build trust in little drops, one activity followed by another activity followed by another activity. You build the trust over time, and you need to start someplace. Because if you, if you don't do that, you, number one, you'll never achieve, achieve trust. And then if you do that, those drops just build up. They just build up. And then you can lose them in a, in a heartbeat if you kick the bucket over. But let's not kick the bucket over. So let's start building our trust. And here's an opportunity to do that that's relevant, it's current, it's now. And I'm confident that those were the topics that uh, – that and probably some others that Secretary Mattis was discussing with his counterparts. And he also, as, as we well know, met uh, Chairman Xi. So good timing on the part of the United States to be focusing and be present, physically present. Sex state in South, uh, South Korea. SecDef has gone to North Korea. SecDef has been in China. SecDef has been in Japan. SecDef has been in South Korea. It's a good time to pay attention to that region. All right. Well, thank you, Rachel and uh, and General Marks for the geopolitical um, conversation. And then just shifting over to uh, markets and Peter, um, what are your thoughts, if any, on, on the current markets uh, the past week or so or going forward? And um, what have you got for us today? Yeah, I think markets remain volatile. We're responding to a lot of news. The past couple of days have been very positive for markets. Um, this week started a little bit weak. I think investors should expect kind of this continued level of volatility because the news cycle is very high, whether it's trade, whether it's geopolitical, that's going on. One encouraging thing, I think, for all investors has been that the investment-grade bond market, which felt a little bit weak, has actually picked up and done well this week. High yields a little bit weak. That could have some implications for broader markets. So I remain a little bit cautious on markets. It is nice, though, to see some of this volatility because I think that sets the stage for a bigger rally later on. Right now, cautious but optimistic and with a keen focus on how we respond to the political aspects. And one thing we did not touch on earlier that I think really helped drive markets today, it sounds like Europeans actually finally got serious talking about migration issues. That has been one of the things that's been tearing at Europe. It really kind of pushed Brexit. It's been part of Italy. So if Europe can kind of solve that, I think that can help European economy, which is a big part of getting the global economy back on track and letting stocks do well. Thanks very much. Thank you, Peter, for that. And thank you as well to Rachel and Spider. Just want to let our listeners know if you would like to speak with any of our geopolitical or macro strategy team members, you can reach us at info at Academy Securities. We would love to answer any questions you have about topics we discussed today or any other geopolitical concerns. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you may be notified of future episodes.